happy Sunday. You can go ahead and take a seat for just a couple of moments. Um, my name is Tracy. It's my pleasure to welcome you here. Um, thank you for spending your Sunday morning with us. We would love it if you could take a couple of steps to help us to connect and to get to know you better. So if you could go ahead, grab your phone or your device and fill out the digital connection card. Fill out the card with as much information as you are comfortable with providing. Let us know that you are here and let us know how we can pray for you. As Christians, the power of prayer is at the core of our belief and you can ignite that power by praying with others. So take a moment, fill out the card and let us know how we can pray with you to ignite that power. We also wanna say, if you are a first time guest, thank you so much for being with us. Your next step after filling out that connection card, if you would please, would be to stop at the Just For You table before leaving today. At the table, we will find a gift, just our way of saying thank you for being here for the very first time. That's the Just For You table and that is located in the lobby. A special thank you to everyone for bringing donations today for Siloam Pantry. That was our love collection today. We were benefiting, they were being benefited by your generosity. We wanna thank everyone for bringing those items. And again, we couldn't do any of this without your kindness, your kind ways, and your caring and generosity. So thank you. We're having a special day in addition because it is communion here. We are celebrating communion here at Valley Point Church today. If you didn't happen to pick up one of the chalices with the elements, please see an usher. They can make sure that you have what you need so that we can all participate in communion together. And then one other important piece of information, our safety training will take place next week. So that is next Saturday, November 21st. It starts at eight o'clock and that runs to two o'clock. If you are interested in attending and have not registered for that, please register for that event online. Again, that is our safety training that will take place next Saturday, November 21st. Again, thank you so much for being here on this beautiful morning. Thank you for spending your morning with us. If you could go ahead and stand as we continue to worship. Have a great day, Valley Point.
So when we sing, when we bring honor to you, God, you're pleased, you're thankful, your, your heart is bent in our direction because of what your son has done. And so we worship you today, God, we honor you today. And whatever breakthrough is standing in the way of us right now, whatever, what, whatever obstacle, we know that you have already done it and we're walking in. So God, be exalted, be honored, be glorified in, in this place and in our lives as you are in heaven. We pray these things in the powerful and resurrected name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for singing with us. Y'all can have a seat. Welcome to the final Sunday of the walk. We made it. Great job, church. And I'm joined by my wife, Tanya, and we don't even have to social distance. No. Nope. It's great. <laughs> 
So what we're going to do today is just answer some questions that have been submitted related to this theme as we conclude the walk. Does that sound okay? Yes. It's good because we're stuck now. <laughs> yeah. Right? We actually like having these kinds of conversations about theology and scripture and God and the church. Mm -hmm. This is how we met. Yeah. Uh, we met in Bible college a very long time ago now. And uh, you were studying to be a pastor. I was working on getting a Bible degree and a teaching degree so that I could be a missionary. And we had some Bible classes together and mm -hmm. theology classes. And I had never met anyone who loved the church mm. as much as you. And we had fun conversations and fell in love. And we still have these conversations about yeah. Bible and theology. Yeah, we still, we're a couple of Bible nerds, yes, actually. <laughs> and I will admit to you in the spirit of full disclosure that Tanya helped me get through college. <laughs> so she was a great student and I wasn't at the time and really picked up on some great study habits from you. So thank you it for was that. Fun. Yeah. So today is a little bit different. I'm not going to share a big idea like I normally would do. I'm not going to unpack a paragraph of scripture, although we're going to look at different pieces of scripture today. There will be no takeaways. We're simply going to answer some questions related to these five essential practices that we have been discussing for the past several weeks. So for those who may be here for the very first time or for those watching online for the first time, give us a brief recap of the walk and these essential practices. Okay, so there are five. We have talked about worship and prayer, uh, study, serving, giving, and sharing was last week where we talked about sharing our faith. And these essentials help us open up our lives to God. And I love that thought about these practices, these disciplines. They open our lives up to God. And when that happens, I think our walk with him will be deep and will truly be living out the story of Jesus. Now, one of the questions is, are there other practices besides just these five that we've discussed? And yeah. your response is? Yes, there's several. Yeah, mm -hmm. there's all kinds of disciplines and practices. I have a book here from Dallas Willard. It's called The Spirit of the Disciplines. And he's somewhat of an expert on spiritual formation. And if you're looking for a resource to continue to learn about essential practices, I would encourage you to consider this book on disciplines and practices. By the way, do you like the word practice as we use that? Yes, I do. I think practice fits it so well because we practice in imperfect ways and then we try again and practice some more. And as we do this, we develop uh, muscle memory, and through practicing, we can implement these spiritual disciplines in our life. But it takes work. It's kind of like preparing for a race. Right. It takes time and effort. Yeah, and Dallas Willard talks about that. So back to his thoughts as an expert on this, he does something unique. He presents all kinds of different disciplines, and he breaks them down into two different categories. There are disciplines of abstinence based on 1 Peter 2.11 that states, abstain from fleshly lusts that war against your soul. So there are disciplines that help with that, 
disciplines of abstinence, and then disciplines of engagement. The disciplines of abstinence include, and here's his list, solitude, silence, fasting, frugality, chastity, secrecy, and sacrifice. They all sound like a lot of fun, don't they? Yeah. Now, here are the disciplines of engagement, and this is, we tend to focus more on these things. They include study, worship, celebration, service, prayer, fellowship, confession, and submission. So that's how he breaks down the categories. As you think of these practices of abstinence and engagement, what strikes you as interesting? Well, the fact that we tend to focus on the disciplines of engagement. Mm -hmm. um, maybe because they seem a little easier to accomplish or check off a list, but these spiritual disciplines of abstinence, we don't tend to do as much with. Uh, they may be just a little more difficult. Uh, throughout my uh, spiritual life, I've been challenged at different times to try fasting. And uh, fasting is the act of giving up for a time frame in order to focus on prayer and Bible study. And I have chosen to fast at different times, and I always feel like I'm not very good at fasting. <laughs> All I think about is food the whole time. I'm not sure if I like food too much, but it seems like when I fast, all I can think about is food, and I don't focus mm. on prayer and Bible study as much. And I also don't feel very well because right. I'm fasting. So I feel like, oh, this just doesn't work for me. But as I studied it more, I discovered that that is exactly the way I should be mm. feeling. Because when we fast, we feel a little crabby, we don't feel well, and we're very distracted by food because we have given it up or something that we've given up, it distracts us. Well, in the midst of that fasting, we want to choose to focus on God. Mm. And we put that discipline in place so that when we walk through difficult times, we have that inner strength to still focus on what God wants us to in a difficult time, which is prayer and study. Mm. So I think it really does help us, even though my first experiences with fasting weren't great. And I really like this quote. It says, whatever practice we are working on, remember, disciplines don't set aside our need for grace, nor do they earn us anything. Hmm. They are simply a means to help us be with Jesus to become like him. I love that last line that talks about disciplines and these practices are a means to help us be with Jesus and become like him. And that's why we're taking time to do this because we all benefit when we become a little bit more like Jesus and our walk with God certainly deepens. So that's a wonderful thought. What we've done with the walk, and I hope everyone has benefited from this, is that we've chosen to put a spotlight on five practices. And when we do them, certainly our walk with God will grow, but as we've discussed, there are more than five practices, but we're focusing on these as a process, a process of helping us walk with God. Okay, here's another question. How do you lead your family in these practices? Often we think of these things as, this is what adults and old people should be doing, these practices, but really, it 
could be helpful for us to think about them holistically and engage our family and help train our kids with these practices as well. So how do we do that? Well, I think we can start very simply right here at church. I think it's very valuable to start with making this a priority. When we make church a priority and set aside this time, it helps this be important to our children as they grow up. Here at Valley Point, we have wonderful resources for our kids. We have Kid Point. And while they're at Kid Point, they receive tools where they themselves can begin studying God's word. They're worshiping, studying God's word. Our students in the program for youth, they are also encouraged to get into God's word. Right now, they're working mm -hmm. through reading through a proverb a day. And uh, that's just a great thing, a great way for them to deepen their relationship with Christ. Uh, at our home, we try to uh, do a few uh, things to help our kids because I don't think we can just do things at church. We need to also implement them at home. Otherwise, it's mm -hmm. not going to be authentic. It has to be real. So it should be in our homes too. So few simple ideas. One, we have a bulletin board in our dining room. And on this bulletin board, we have our kids' life verses and our life verses. Everyone writes them out and we stick them on that board. And it just helps us throughout the whole year. Those verses are there. We can read them at any time. We can remind each other about our life verses. Another very uh, practical thing that uh, I do is I send my kids with phones verses uh, every day. So I tell them I'm praying for them, and I send them a verse as an encouragement to them so that they also will get into God's word, read it on their own, and also to show them I really need God's word. It's where I need every day. I'm in God's word because it is real to me and it helps me in my spiritual life. And then the last area. Today is a collection love day for us here at Valley Point, and I think it is just a wonderful way for us to serve and give with our kids. For collection love days, we can take our kids out shopping. We can talk about what we're buying and why we're buying. When we have serving love days, we can serve with our kids. And I just think that this helps Leading our family means living it in love, not perfectly, not at all, but practicing. Right. So I like how you talk about taking advantage of what happens here and what is provided from Valley Point Church. And we actually experienced that this past week within the student ministry, our sixth through 12th grade program for kids. We have two of our kids in that right now. So they're reading a proverb a day. That was a challenge given to them. And last Wednesday or Thursday, our daughter drives to the high school here, Garnet Valley High School, and she drops off our eighth grade son at the middle school. So she drops him off, parks here in the church parking lot, and then walks to the school. Well, after they left, she called very quickly mm -hmm. to say, I just hit a deer on the way to school, and I'm okay the deer's okay. The deer actually got up and walked off and the headlights kind of dangling, but I think I can make it to school and we're going to be okay. And we're asking, are you sure I can come and get you? And, and then our eighth grade son actually talked to you and said, 
He said, well, it's a good thing I'm reading my proverb on the way to school this morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Like he almost attached safety yeah. to, oh, at least I read the Bible today. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> these things work. And I think it's fair to say that you can only lead and encourage what you are currently doing as a parent or as a leader or attempting to do. So perhaps this looks like our families coming together and saying, okay, family, we need to grow in this practice of bearing witness to our faith. And what does that look like if we took that seriously over the next two to three months? What could we do and say in all of our interactions? Or family, we're not really good with studying the scripture outside of Sunday, so what would it look like if we devoted time to doing that, and how could we improve? I think these would be great exercises. Okay, a question related to study of Scripture. Is it better to study the Word of God on your own, to just open it up and read and journal and do that, or is it better to read what other people have (laughs) written, study guides and books on faith? What do you think? This is a hard one. I love uh, a lot of different books, and different Mm -hmm. study guides are very helpful. I really enjoy uh, God's Wisdom for Navigating Life by Timothy Keller. It's a favorite of mine. Mm -hmm. I also enjoy the journal that Sherry Kelly, who is from Valley Point, writes for us for our Real Women community group, helps us connect with uh, the First John study that we're working on this year. So these are great but I would and say... And Sherry's actually in this hour right now. Yes, so yeah. this is a great thing. And I read it. I'm like, man, I wish I wrote that. Because <laughs> it's so good. So wonderful yes, resource. She's a wonderful writer. Uh, these are wonderful. But I will say, when I take the Bible and I open it up for myself, and mm. I read it and dig in, I meditate, write out what I am learning... That impacts me so much. Mm -hmm. It really impacts me more because I have verses that are mine. I have things that I have written down that I can go back to that encourage my heart that I discovered. Mm -hmm. It's almost like digging your own well Mm -hmm. when you do it yourself. And then you're able to share with Mm -hmm. family members and friends and coworkers who may be struggling or need some type of encouragement. You're able to share from what you have personally receive. But it's probably fair to say that both are needed Mm -hmm. and both are helpful, right? Yes, I would agree. And I have a question for you. Yes. You like Greek and Hebrew words. Indeed. So how important is that for us as we study? Well, I I would say they're not important at all. And that's (laughs) a great thing because you don't have to have a background in Greek or Hebrew to understand scripture. It's certainly helpful. But you don't have to have that because we have really reliable English translations. Thank you to John Wycliffe from the 1380s who did all of that for us. So I don't think you have to have a background in that. I do think it's helpful to just have an understanding that the Bible wasn't originally written in English. It was written in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek, and there's nuances to understanding all of that, but really... We have reliable English translations that we can trust. Okay, so how about history and context? How important is that when we're studying? 
So history and context. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> well, I think that uh, it's important that we need to be careful when we are reading God's word and studying because we can look at a verse and maybe pull it out of its context and make it say mm -hmm. maybe what we want it to say mm -hmm. instead of what it is saying. I think it's fair to state that whatever we read, whether it's general literature or reading biblical literature, we approach that and bring bias to it. We do, based on who we are, our personalities, our station in life, what we've experienced. We all bring bias to it, and that can be a little dangerous. So I think you're right. History and context is important. I think when we open up the Bible and we're reading a book, it's really important to know who's the author of this particular book. That matters. And what's the date of when it was written? Were these words written before Christ came or were they written after Christ came? I think understanding some cultural context is important too. Like was this written in Israel or in Egypt or in Greece? I think knowing who is this written to, who's the crowd that this is being addressed to? Is it a Jewish crowd or a Gentile crowd? I think all of these things are very important. You don't think it's too hard? <laughs> well, yeah, it is hard. And that's the thing. This is a muscle for Christ followers that we all need to exercise. And I think we all need to grow up in this. And that's a great challenge for all of us. And look, here's the good news. We have a lifetime of walking with God in order to be able to do that. So we don't have to know everything today, but we should be seeking to improve in our exercise of this particular practice. So here's a few things that have helped me over the years. A great study Bible is your best friend. This is the Life Application Study Bible, and there's different kinds, but I love this one because it just gives a lot of practical help, and we've had this in our house for a long time. It's a great study Bible, and I would encourage you to get one. Look, yeah, it's my study Bible. <laughs> yeah, so I stole Tanya's Bible for a prop today. How about that? Has my name on it. <laughs> but this is, it's a great study Bible that just gives all of those things to us. So think about this. You can either gather 20, 30, 40 books around you, and I, I love that. That's a lot of fun for me. But you don't really have to do that. If you have a great study Bible, it provides a lot of these things for us. So uh, give me a book. Philemon. Philemon, okay. Philemon. A New Testament book. And here's what we find in this particular study Bible. So what's the purpose of this book? Who wrote this book? When was it written? Like those are things that are really important when you're reading it. So what you find in the Life Application Study Bible is that it gives you that information on the very front page of this book. It gives you the purpose. And it talks about the author. Paul wrote this particular letter to a guy named Philemon. And it gives a date to this. It's about A.D. 60. So this is after Christ was here. All of this information is here. Setting, key verses, key people, key places, special features. If you want to grow this muscle in your life, get a great study Bible. This thing is huge. It's like a weapon. I don't carry it around with me on Sunday. But it's a great resource mm -hmm. to have. And then I would add to that, we've already alluded to it a little bit. 
take advantage of this day. You know, we're, we're not doing this just for the heck of it. <laughs> we're doing it to try to help the church grow up. And when we come together, whoever's teaching generally has taken time to think about what's the book, who's the author, what's the context, what's the history of this. And we share all of that with you. So start your week out in the best possible way by taking advantage of Sunday and bring paper and pens and take good notes or do that on a digital device so that you can walk out of here and keep thinking all week long about what was stated. I think that's helpful. So we've been married for 27 years. Mm -hmm. Tanya has heard all of my talks, like every single one, I think, mm -hmm. yeah. never missed. And she's here on Sundays all three hours because this is what we love to do. And one of the things that I find fascinating is when it comes to 1130, I'll be teaching up here, as you know, and here's the big idea and here's some takeaways, whatever. If I look down and Tan is either sitting here or over there, she's always taking notes, even at 1130. So I have at least one fan, at least one. Yes. Yeah, I'm a big fan. <laughs> but I think that's great that even with all of the knowledge that you have, and our history together, and you've heard the same talk for two straight hours, that you're still taking notes and writing things down. I just share all that to say, take advantage of Sunday. We're trying to help everybody grow up and practice studying the scripture. And then just a third point, expect God to speak to you when you approach scripture. Right? Like this is more than just a thing to do. I have to do this. Are you checking off a list? Okay, I'm deepening my friendship with God, maybe. But this is a divine appointment with God. Like, wow, the opportunity to have the creator and inventor, the one who is over all and above all, speak directly to me. This is something incredible, and we don't take advantage of this enough. So as we approach this, Think of it as an appointment. And here's the deal. All of this is work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it quickly gets crowded out, doesn't mm -hmm. it? I find that happening in my life. It's easy to say no to all of this. It's work, but it's worth it because it creates this lifestyle of living out the story of Jesus. So here's a thought from author and pastor John Mark Comers. Here's a conviction of mine. The Western church has lost sight of the fact that the way of Jesus is just that, a way of life. It's not just a set of ideas, what we call theology, or a list of do's and don'ts, what we call ethics. It is that, but it's so much more. It's a way of life based on that of Jesus himself, a lifestyle, and when we do this, we're deepening our walk with God, which is the goal. Okay, how about this? Are these practices in any way related to the fruit of the Spirit, which we talked about that a couple of summers ago. We gave the whole summer to that study in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, and mm -hmm. we tried to memorize it. Any connection to spiritual practices in the fruit of the Spirit? Yes, definitely. Let's go ahead and read Galatians 5, 19 through 26. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, 
quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Rough list. <laughs> right. Okay, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, mm. joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified him, them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Mm. I love the fruit of the Spirit. I really enjoyed the summer series that Eric did on the fruit of the Spirit. And during that series, I wrote out the fruit of the Spirit on a chalkboard and I put it in our kitchen and it is still there. And I think it's a great place to have the fruit of the Spirit because we all gather in the kitchen. And I feel like we need the fruit of the Spirit to enjoy each other. Mm. Uh, the Holy Spirit produces these in our life. It isn't just following rules. This is the Holy Spirit producing this in our lives as we love Him deeply. As we practice, we have these if we think about self-control, the self-control it takes to fast, this is a self-control we use when we disagree with someone. Mm. How are we going to respond? How will we live it out? Being kind when we don't feel very well or we feel crabby. Because of the self-discipline of fasting, that gives us inner strength to do the next kind act. Mm, yeah. So it's great because we have verses all over our house, from the fruit of the spirit to all of our life verses. And, you know, a tip for parents, when you have verses on the wall in your house, you can just take child number four, child number three, whoever the person may be, and say, all right, here's your life first, and I don't think you're living this out anymore, and just concentrate <laughs> on that. Or here's the fruit of the Spirit. Can you please, you know, love, joy, peace? And yes. I, you know, I don't ever need that, but it's a great <laughs> thing to be able to remind your kid by having that on the wall. Essentially, these practices, whether we're talking about five or an expanded list, they, when we implement them, when we do them, they will produce the yes. fruit of the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. in us. They will. Okay, let's switch gears and talk generosity. Did Jesus demonstrate financial generosity? Yes. I think that's a fascinating mm -hmm. question. Like, yes. did Jesus use money? So we both did some research. You go first. Okay, so the story that came to mind for me was Matthew 17, 24 through 27, which says this. On their arrival in Capernaum, the tax collectors of the temple tax came to Peter and asked him, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, Peter replied. Then he went into the house. But before he had a chance to speak, Jesus asked him, What do you think, Peter? Do kings tax their people or do the people or the people they have conquered? 
They tax the people they have conquered, Peter replied. Well then, Jesus said, the citizens are free. However, we don't want to offend them, so go down to the lake and throw in a line. Open the mouth of the first fish you catch, and you will find a large silver coin. Take it and pay the tax for both of us. The question Peter is asked is, does your teacher pay tax? Mm. And Peter answers, yes. So Jesus uses money. It's interesting, though, because here we have Matthew, who is a tax collector. And Matthew is the only gospel that shares this story. And it is referencing Exodus 30, where Jewish males were the ones who were responsible to take care of the temple. Mm, interesting. <laughs> so maybe we should all take up fishing, and this is how we can pay for our taxes <laughs> going forward, possibly. <laughs> this is an example of some great research, though, because you found an example of Jesus using money, and you found it in a gospel, and you discovered the author was Matthew, and when you look up a little bit about Matthew, you understand he was a tax collector. He had a background in money, so it makes sense that he would be the one who would share this. Mm -hmm. So when people looked at Jesus, as Matthew shares this with us, they would have recognized this is someone who pays taxes mm -hmm. and they use their money for that. Okay, here's what I discovered. There is a CNN article entitled Funding Jesus, Who Bankrolled Christ's Ministry? Great title, right? And what they noted based on what they found in John chapter 12 is that there was a disciple named Judas who was in charge of the disciples' funds. Judas, of course, is the one who would go on to betray Jesus, but he was over the money that they used in order to function and do the things that they did. And so somebody was providing that type of income for them there's a passage in Luke chapter 8 that talks about a few wealthy and influential women who provided a lot for the ministry of Jesus. So there is money around him. It was even managed. And Jesus talked quite a bit about money and managing it and being a good steward, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, he did. Another question. Okay. We had a question about money and giving. Should I give if I am in debt? Or should debt be paid off first before we give? Yeah. Well, I, in response to that, when I have these conversations with individuals, I encourage people, even with a lot of debt, it's helpful to give something back to God. And that might seem a little counterintuitive, like, okay, well, I could pay this off faster and have more to give to God on the other side, but... It's been my experience that doesn't seem to happen. So in the process of even paying off debt, even if it's overwhelming, and look, we might have to adjust some things, and maybe we can't give what we want, and I think God's okay with that, but I do believe we should give something to God and his work, even if we have a lot of debt, and here's why. Generosity, giving to God, it keeps our hearts soft, and it helps us be a cheerful giver, which is what we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. So tell us a little more about being a cheerful giver. Okay, the word cheerful is kind of a funny word, actually, and you'll see what I mean here. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, here's what it says. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. 
So the word cheerfully or cheerful comes from the Greek word hilaros. We get the English word hilarious from that. So you could look at 2 Corinthians 9-7 and say, for God loves a person who gives with a hilarious attitude, (laughs) meaning there should be joy and cheer attached to this. And that's why I encourage people to give even if they have a lot of debt because if we don't give, we may miss out on the cheer and the joy that comes with giving to God. So I think that's kind of an important thing to do. Mm -hmm. You know, the walk has been about five essential practices. We know there's more. But we have focused on five, saying, boy, if we just did these things, our our walk with God is going to be beautiful, and we'll be living out the story of Jesus in pretty profound ways. If you were going to add (laughs) a practice, Mm -hmm. what would you add? I would add thankfulness. Okay. Which is interesting because you don't find that in a lot of the lists. Mm -mm. Um, I was doing a study on Romans a few years back, and I was just really um, impacted on the importance of thankfulness. So I started to be intentional about making thankfulness a part of my life. Uh, I want to share Romans one twenty one. It says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Mm. And this verse just really made me stop and reflect about how important it is to be thankful because of our minds. It's so easy to quickly spiral downward in our thinking. And here it says if we are thankful, it helps us. So I began implementing just a few very simple practical ways that I would choose to be thankful. Uh, The first way is just to write down what I'm thankful for. Write it down on a calendar or in a journal. This is a wonderful month uh, to write down what we're thankful for because Thanksgiving is coming. But if we continue that habit into December, January, February, we get into the habit of just saying thankful. Uh, Another simple way that I practice thankfulness is I have some artwork in my house that just says, Uh, live thankfully, remember thankfulness, be thankful, those types of things. You see them everywhere right now at Thanksgiving around the corner. And it just helps me remember to be thankful. I can see both of these artwork pieces that I have in my house while I make dinner. So it's just a great time for me to stop and say thank you to God. And the last way that I keep myself on this track is every time I pull it in our driveway, I try to thank God. Uh, One of the ways that I say thank you to God is I thank him for giving me so much more than what Mm -hmm. I need. And these are just really simple, easy uh, practices for me, but it really helps me keep my mind where it should be, and it keeps my eyes on Jesus, which we talked about last week. That's right. Mm -hmm. Romans one twenty one. This is really a disturbing verse, actually, Mm -hmm. because it talks about, or it at least makes a connection to, if you don't give thanks, Mm -hmm. if you're not a grateful person, then your heart could become dark. Mm -hmm. So this is a great practice, I think, and you should write a book on that. (laughs) 
All right. I want to close with this from Robert Mulholland, who has written quite a bit about spiritual formation. The idea of spiritual growth as a continuous process rubs harshly against the deeply ingrained instant gratification mode of our culture. Perhaps one of our first spiritual struggles for genuine growth toward wholeness will be against this strongly entrenched approach to life. There is much in our culture that infiltrates our attitudes unconsciously and makes us expect spiritual formation to happen instantaneously rather than through the steady progress of a process. And that's what I want you to really think about, the steady progress of a process. What we have discussed for the past several weeks is a process. Here are five practices, and they don't happen instantaneously. It's a process of how we can walk with God and live out the story of Jesus. Okay, you get the final word. So to go along with that, I would just encourage all of us to remember that the walk is a journey. This mm. is not a sprint. This is going to take time. And to put into place in our lives these uh, disciplines of engagement, disciplines of abstinence, we're going to have to practice and be patient with ourselves and with others around us. We are all in different places mm. on this journey, on the walk. Parents in the room and parents online, let's encourage our kids to take these steps and to walk this walk, but let's be patient with them too, knowing that this is a lifetime process. As we live this out, let's live it out in love though, showing that there is a difference when you spend time with mm. Jesus. I thought a great way to conclude our theme would be to experience communion together. It's actually been a long time since we've done this as a church as we tried to walk through COVID and figure out how to even do that. But we have found a way, and I think it's appropriate just to wrap up this theme of talking about walking with God by taking some time to remember the great sacrifice of Jesus. So if you could get those little chalices ready, and if you're watching online, please prepare your elements as well. I'm going to ask Tanya to pray, to close out our time, and then we'll step into communion. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much uh, for your word and for the direction that it gives us in life. Thank you, Lord, for uh, this series that we have walked through. Pray, Lord, that you would help us on our walk, that we would take the time to worship you and to get into your word and study. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to serve and give and share our faith. Pray, Lord, that we would live this out uh, in our homes. Help us to encourage our children. Help us to be a bright light, Lord, in our community. Thank you, Lord, so much for your amazing love for us. Thank you for sending Jesus to us to die on the cross, to cleanse us, Lord, from all of our sin. Thank you, Lord, for this time where we can just remember the great sacrifice that you have done for us. Thank you, Lord, for your love. In your name we pray. Amen.